This edition of How To Be A CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. You might not think about your local florist as being a tech company, but of course it is. And yeah, it's not meta, but that handy car machine they're using for sales, that website that's taking their online orders, how they make their stock purchases, it's all tech. But if all those SMEs in Britain are now all tech companies, what does that mean for the networks that provide the services? A flower shop, uh, a restaurant, um, a bike shop, they're all digital. So the demand for digital technology to always work and also to be able to swap out digital technology if in the future something better comes along is, is really important. So they need a partner that can anticipate what those needs are. Baz Berger is the CEO of BT Business, which only officially launched in April. It's a merging of the telecom giant's formerly separate global and enterprise units, and it has an enormous job to do in very little time. Where we had the revolution of the internet, after which we had the revolution of the smartphone, now we're going to get the revolution of automation powered by AI, artificial intelligence. I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard. We're going to be talking to Baz about the challenges faced by BT businesses. Where do you even start when you're taking on something as big as this? And why would you want to take that responsibility in the first place? But when we meet at their HQ in London's Whitechapel, the first thing I want to know is something like BT Business, which employs 24,000 people, is a huge undertaking for a company. So why does it need to exist? If you look at BT, we're, we're servicing consumers and we're servicing business customers so we have a network that you know uh, during uh, the the day uh, during the week is being used by business customers and in the evening and in the weekends most consumers are on the network so from a logical standpoint you would organize it in that way now the reason it was different previously is because we had a business to business business in the uk servicing these customers, and we had one that serviced customers globally. They were distinctly different businesses set up in a different way. But over the past five years, I had the privilege of leading the global organization. We have restructured it in a way that we are focused much more on a set number of customers, and we are solving the problem, which is pretty much the same problem we're solving for business-to-business customers in the UK. So therefore, we decided to put the two businesses together to simplify and to scale some of the things that we're doing in the company to benefit both both uh, organizations. So what is the problem being faced by business customers today? Yeah. Let's put the consumer ones to one side. That's, yeah. that's me not being able to get my Netflix and that thing spinning around. But for yeah. business customers... What yeah. is the problem? It is actually not very different to what you just described, <laughs> David. Because They are not watching Netflix, are they? <laughs> they're not watching Netflix, but they are using applications yeah. that make their business 
efficient and make them competitive in their individual markets. So it's, it's the same as you use Netflix, you have it on your phone, on your iPad. It doesn't really run on your phone or your iPad. It runs somewhere in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Businesses do that as well. They use applications to... Um, you know, to communicate with their people in the organization, to uh, communicate with their customers. They use applications to run their supply chains, um, to to send out bills, to etc. And all these applications, they either sit in their own data center, sometimes under their desk on a PC, but moreover, it sits in the cloud. Yeah. So connectivity is extremely important to always work for organizations to be relevant and to continue to exist. I always use the analogy, if, if I, I've been in telecommunication quite some time, but if I were to talk to somebody who runs a factory, for example, in the beginning of the 2000s, and connectivity would not be there, mm-hmm. the factory would still pretty much run, and you know they would call us after you know, a day or so and say, could you please bring the phones back up? Today, if that happens, the factory will probably stop working after an hour because they need so much information and applications and data to run a factory. Machines talk to applications. People need to access information. If that, if connectivity goes, none of that digital technology is available. So, so essentially, that's the problem that we as an organization need to solve for businesses is deliver that rock-solid foundation that they can access any digital technology today and in the future. But that is quite a responsibility to take on your shoulders, isn't it? Is. it? Why, why would you want to do that? You know, you're in a position where if something goes wrong, yeah. it's you that goes. Exactly. And it's because we are good at it. We are re- in the UK... As an example, we obviously have built and we own a lot of the fixed network. And obviously, we have the best mobile network in the country as well. Uh, and best is qualified by you know, reach. You know, is it available in most places in the country? If it's there, does it give you the bandwidth you need to do what you need to do? If that's the case, is it up all the time? Or is it sometimes down and sometimes up? So we call that performance and resilience. Um, and, and we are really good at that. So, so because companies need that capability, we are the ones best positioned to deliver that to them. Um, so we want to have that responsibility. But David, you're absolutely right. I also personally feel that as an enormous responsibility because, you know, this digital foundation, this rock-solid digital foundation in a country like the UK, in any country, by the way, is is going to be incredibly important for the economy to to work, for the for the country to evolve, um, and and that responsibility. Is and I feel that personally as well. It's, okay. it's enormous. <laughs> it but okay, then. So you have that as a priority to create this rock-solid foundation. How do you make it? rock solid how do you say this cannot fail here's what we're going to do to make sure it doesn't yeah well first of you start with customers so you ask customers what is it that you want to do in your individual market not today but in the future so back to your question earlier you know what's the problem you're solving for actually you're solving for a problem in the future 
you know, I don't know if you know Wayne Gretzky, but he always said, you skate to where the puck is going. Yeah. He was an ice hockey player from Canada. Um, and that's what we're doing. We're skating to where the puck is going, not where the puck is today. So we're, we're, we're trying to solve problems for customers in the long-term future. So we ask them, what is it that you think? And sometimes they do know, sometimes they don't know. But one thing that's for sure is that we, we see that digital technology in general is going to solve most problems that customers have in the future. And it's most companies will be run as a digital company. It's no longer the case that it's only banks or insurance companies or tech companies that are digital companies, but yeah. a flower shop, uh, a restaurant, um, a bike shop, they're all digital. So the demand for digital technology to always work and also to be able to swap out digital technology if in the future something better comes along is is really important. So they need a partner that can anticipate what those needs are. But so much of this, the way you're describing it, is, is gazing into a crystal ball, isn't it? You, 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 you can't know where you're going to be in 10 years. But I guess, you know, that's a good milestone to reach. You have to know what's yeah. going to, where it's going to be in 10 years. Yeah, but you do, what you do know is what's definitely not going to change. You do know that customers always would like more bandwidth, not less because of all the technology that's coming. What you do know is they want more availability, not less. Uh, You know that, um, uh, you know, for example, where we had the revolution um, of the internet in the beginning of the century, after which we had the revolution of the, the, the smartphone, now we're gonna get the revolution of automation, particularly, you know, powered by AI, artificial intelligence, and and Gen AI is part of that. We know that that is going to accelerate the need for uh, companies to be able to have big data sets available at their fingertips. um, And, and, you know, that will require the network to do a lot more than the network can do today. So we know all of these things are going to happen. Exactly how, we don't know. But we know we need to get bandwidth available, we need to get availability up, and we need to get predictability up. Because it's not always, not everything needs to be available all the time. You just need to make sure that you understand which applications for which companies need to be available all the time. Are we as a country ready for that, for this upsurge, this this demand that we're going to be placed on, on bandwidth? If everybody, even a florist, is basically a tech company, can this country handle that? Absolutely. Look, I think what you need is a, you know, is an infrastructure that can handle that. Uh, we are investing about twelve billion to fiber up the UK at the moment. Consumers and businesses, absolutely necessary. You could argue we we are slightly late from a European and potentially also a global context, but we are leapfrogging at the moment. We've learned from a lot of others. We are currently building extremely fast and yes the UK is going to be absolutely ready for this and I think also um, you know historically uh, and you, you might know this this I, I find this fascinating um, obviously not being from the UK the UK has been also the first country in the world to have a telco network most of the copper that's in the ground in the UK that we are taking out, or some of it, was actually built 120, 130 years ago. Wow, we were really far ahead. <laughs> and exactly, and we, we 
I can say we here in this country are the first ones to, to use a telegraph. And to, so we are now implementing fiber with exactly the same um, objective, is to make sure that we allow businesses in the UK to flourish um, and to use the next-gen technology uh, at a global scale. Because it's not the UK only. Eh? You work as a company here, even if you're a florist, you will use applications that do not sit in a public cloud in the UK, but elsewhere. Why do you think the UK, you said some people would argue we were slightly late in developing this. Why do you think, what do you think happened? Why do you think that? What do you think happened there? I, I, I couldn't necessarily comment on exactly what happened there, but you know, when you're ahead in something, you sometimes stay ahead and then other people overtake you and you then need to leapfrog the others. And I think that's a little bit what happened here. Yeah. Um, That's just innovation, though. It's innovation. It's it's also the willingness to invest. It has to do with, um, you know, how you... Um, it's timing as well. You know, when do you think it's it's necessary to, to have this infrastructure ready? Some, some are too early, some are too late. It, always with hindsight, it's easy. But I think I think we're we're on time. I think we are building um, a lot, and we're not the only ones building in the UK, as you know. On fiber, we're building 5G networks uh, all across the UK. You know, there's also multiple providers that do that. Um, you know, and we'll have to see what applications and uh, and what usages are going to come to the fruition in the future. But um, the infrastructure uh, will absolutely be ready in the UK. Yeah, actually, the, the, you, know, you spoke about other people doing this. This is an extremely competitive field, and it's exploded re- relatively, really, really quickly, hasn't it? Lots of lots of people, lots of great companies that have appeared. How do you stay ahead of that? How do you divide the competition? Step ahead, step ahead of that. Just focus on what you do well. Don't branch out in things that you don't do well. So, and it, this is for any company. You know, you need to figure out if you build a strategy for a company, as as we just discussed, um, I did for for BT Business. You need to figure out what we said. First of all, what is the problem you're fixing in the future for customers? Then you need to figure out why am I the best one to fix that problem? Mm. And and then you need to figure out how am I going to make money fixing that problem? If any of those questions is answered with no, then don't go into that market. So for us, that means that the, the, the problem of delivering a rock-solid foundation by which all businesses, small to big, can, can flourish, why BT can deliver that, has to do with the fact that we have to have the skills and experience, but we also need to have the technology and the scale to do it. And this is pretty much a scale game as well. If you have a lot more customers using the same type of network, obviously your unit cost goes down. But traditionally, or or at the moment, it's also a data play. So the more data we get from a bigger group of customers, the better we can predict what we need to do to bring availability up. So it's a scale game, and, and we're very good at that. Uh, and, and we have a lot of experience in it, and, and that is where we put all our investment money uh, in, the, in the short run and in the long run. And we don't go beyond that. But how much of an advantage is that? Because BT as a company has been around for quite a long time, but all of this is new. Yeah. So is, is that history relevant at all to future success? Or do you come in and go, right, we're starting from scratch here? Yeah, relationships with customers continue. And the problem we're solving for customers is not necessarily that different from what we solved with old technology and new technology. We just have to do it with new technology and we need to do it faster and better. 
but we have relationships with customers everywhere. Uh, you know, we know what what makes companies tick. We know individuals in companies. We know how they're organized. We know how their processes run. So we are very good at anticipating what is the need that they have going forward. And we need to be humble and honest about why are we better at solving that? And when do we need to take a step back and, and let somebody else solve that problem? Because we know we're not the best at it. Right, I'm going to step back for a couple of minutes and let people who are better at adverts than me do some adverts. You should have a listen to them. Somewhere in there might be the future. Who knows? What we do know is that How To Be A CEO brings you insights from some of the world's top companies every fortnight. And if you follow on your podcast provider, you'll never miss an episode. So while you're listening to these, hit that button. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 to get 20 20, to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When this position was created, did you pursue it or were you offered it? And we're kind of like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> were we either, oh, this job exists, I'm going to do it or well, I don't know. Well, many, many times in my career, and I, I, would, I would say also to many of your listeners, you will find yourself in a position where people offer you things because they've seen you do things you do really well. And people think, hey, you know, David's a good guy. Maybe we should ask him to, to do this particular task. That's, that's what happened here as well, basically. Um, there was an idea to put the bo- both businesses together. Obviously, I helped with the idea because I was running one of the two businesses. And um, yeah, and it was offered to me. And uh, I, I find it an extreme big honor and, and huge responsibility uh, to, to do this. But um, So I grabbed it with, with both hands. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, 
you'll find that most of these things are offered to you. It's, uh, you can still pursue it, but uh, chances you, you get it are higher if they offer it to you. And what was the first thing you did on day one? When this was all done and gone, right, this is it, this is where it starts. What did you do first? Talk to our customers and talk to our people a lot. Ask questions. As, as long as you can, I would advise anybody starting any new role, not only a CEO role, is to make sure that you ask questions and do not give answers as long as you possibly can. So I did that. I spent a lot of time with customers. For me in the UK, uh, the UK part was fairly new and the um, SME market, the small and medium enterprise market was new. So I spent a lot of time talking to customers and talking to you know, people that knew what the problems were in the market that we needed to solve. And obviously to our people, we are very, we are people business. So we are very, very much dependent on the skill sets and the knowledge our people have that deliver the technology. So I did, I spent a lot of time with our people here in the UK in particular. And when you, after talking to those people, did you sort your priorities by, okay, this is the biggest thing we have to do or by, I can do this right now? A little bit of both. Look, as a CEO, you, you have, you, you have a, a few tasks, but, but the biggest task is to set a direction to make sure you focus on the long run. So with all the listening that I did, I tried to figure out, and also talking with all my colleagues and, my, and, and, and the people, try to figure out what is the direction that we're going to go to in the long run. You need to have a long-term focus, particularly in our business. Our business is a, you know, we, we just spoke about the network being built 130 years ago, the, the fiber we put in the ground and the antennas we're putting up today, they're gonna be there decades from now, long after I'm gone. So, so you have to have a long-term strategy. What are you gonna do with that? Um, so that's where I spend most of my time is to say, what is the direction of the company? What are, what, what are we going to do? But moreover, what are we not going to do? So you've set the direction, and how many people work at BT Business? 24,000. That's a lot of people that need to follow that direction. How do you get them to follow you? First of all, by making the direction simple and, and easy to understand from a customer point of view, from a people point of view, from an investor point of view, so from, from all the stakeholders involved, and repeat it um, as, as many times as, as you can. Um, and also, from a people perspective, 24,000 people, engage them in the journey. Be very predictable in what does it mean for a person in a particular job today, but what does it also mean in the long run? And, and we do need skills in the long run that we don't have today to get to that, to that, that direction. We also have skills today that we don't need in the future. And... And you have to be honest and you have to be open and you have to be consistent in talking about what is the long-term strategy? What is the direction of the company? What do we do for customers? Set milestones in between and then, and then follow through. Just listen to you. I was thinking about your own background. You started marketing, didn't you? No, actually, I started in sales, actually. In sales. Yeah. Sales and marketing. Yeah. It's the same department. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Well, yeah. Most of the technology you're working with now probably didn't exist. Did you ever expect to be in this kind of a position where you were always thinking, this, I'm going to work in an innovative company and I'm never going to know what I'm going to be doing next? No, not really. No, <laughs> I, I must say, I, yeah, I, can, I could say I predicted this, but no, I didn't. I didn't predict anything that happened in my career, to be honest. I, I did pick 
to work in telecommunications early in my career. I, I started my career in a, actually in a software company here in the UK briefly. Um, and, and I'm going to show my age now, but that was the time where you sent floppy, floppy drives oh, yeah. to customers mm-hmm. if you wanted to sell software. And then you send them a letter to say you're allowed to copy this 100 times, and then you send them a bill for 100 licenses. But I very quickly saw when I was working there that those floppies were going away, and it was more, you know, over, over telecommunication lines, you could download software. Yeah. And I thought... That, that industry is going to be the telco industry. That's where I want to work. So when I, I graduated, that's, that's where I started. So, um, but other than that, my career has been a complete um, um, yeah, string of moments where people have asked me to do other stuff <laughs> because they thought I could do it. Have you always enjoyed those other things? Have you, have you, have you ever gone, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this, actually? With hindsight, sometimes, yeah, but th- I've thoroughly enjoyed all the roles, but there were roles that um, I thought, you know, I'll give you an example. I started my career in, in KPN. Mm. I, I'm, I'm from the Netherlands. Um, and um, KPN is the incumbent telco in the Netherlands. And it was in the beginning of the 2000s, they offered me a job which actually had the title of, of a CEO. It was a CEO job of a unit within KPN that did a lot of the enterprise uh, environments at the time. And um, I was 31. It was a very large organization. Um, average age was very high. And we had to reorganize and restructure that whole business. Uh, That's tough for a 31-year-old. I was, it, I mean, it was way too early. Uh, with hindsight, back to your question, did you ever think of... That was a moment afterwards I thought, well, the people that asked me to do this, probably they... Um, they, they, they took a risk, let's put it like yeah. that. And uh, it turned out well, uh, eventually, but uh, boy, did I have to <laughs> learn fast. Would you take a risk like that? Would you put someone young who you think is talented into that kind of position? Yes, I would, actually. And I think I think with hindsight, I, I thank the people that did that in KPN back in those days a lot because they were taking a risk but on the other hand you know they were watching my back they had all i got all the support i needed they allowed me to make some mistakes uh, as as long as they saw me learn quickly yeah. ca- catch the mistakes don't do them consistently um so yes I, I would definitely take that risk but i would i would make sure that there was a support system in place to to make sure that this person would be successful yeah what's ahead for bt business where are you going? What's next? Well, we're actually going into a very, very exciting period. Now that we are in the process of putting these businesses together, because obviously we're, st- we're still working on, on the integration of two massive companies, um, we are very, very focused on delivering this, this uh, solid foundation for customers. Um, and I think with um, the... The trends we see in the markets um, for the demand that we just talked about is increasing so much. Um, we are engaging with many, many different customers uh, at a level that um, is, is on true partnership. Um, I think we're going to be able to accelerate the way in which we provide our services, the way we um, 
migrate our customers off from old services onto new services. You know, you, you, consumers have heard about that in the UK and businesses as well, is moving away from copper onto fiber type services, um, moving away from analog to digital, moving away from 3G to 4G to 5G. All these migrations, we um, we are fully up and running and, and able to do that. And I think... Um, with that responsibility we just spoke about, we also have a team that can actually deliver that. Yeah. Um, so the next thing would be to execute on that. We've set the strategy, we've set the direction, we have the people, we have the products, it's now up to us to execute. And I think the timing is is 100% right for it. One thing I always ask, whenever we do an interview with a CEO, a successful person, I ask them to go all the way back to their very first job interview first job interview you ever had not necessarily a big company but you may have been for a newspaper round can you remember what your first ever job interview was and what happened yeah i do actually um well i worked in a pancake restaurant and i i guess in the I, I, I washed the dishes so I guess they asked me if I if I was okay with um, working late and cleaning up afterwards and, and when I said yes I had the job so <laughs> that's probably that's probably not the very first job in, not think, so different to now actually <laughs> yeah no, exactly exactly I that was a that was a that was a, a, a good a good job but um, listen I think I think the job interview that I had for the software company I was referring to that was a sales job so that was uh, a contact center and had zero experience and um, they they didn't really want to hire me they said over the because I was in the Netherlands and I really wanted to work for a company in in uh, in, in the UK and they basically said look uh, you need to do this job interview face to face we don't do this over the phone so um, I know you're you're not here so sorry we can't give you the job so I said to them I said well if I when, when do you want me to be there? And they said, well, the job interview is tomorrow, nine o'clock, and it was somewhere in the evening or something. And I was a student, obviously. I had no money whatsoever. Um, so I said, okay, I'll be there. If I'm there, can I Can I then have to... And they said, they, they called my bluff. They said, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you be there, then... So I scraped my last guilders at the time, not euros yet, uh, from the bank account. I took a, a ticket, last uh, flight out, slept on the airport, and then uh, went to the job interview at nine. And they were so impressed, I, I actually showed up that they said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you a shot at this. So I, I got the job. That was Baz Berger, CEO of BT Business. For more interviews, news and analysis, head to standard.co.uk forward slash business or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. How to be a CEO will be back in two weeks. We'll see you then. <laughs>